welcome to Beyond Gameplay. I'm Kelly Dunlap. If you're a fan of the show, then you already know that this month on Beyond Gameplay, we're grabbing our D20s and investigating the very real world of therapeutic tabletop RPGs. Earlier this month, we spoke with Dr. Megan Connell. She's a psychologist and self-described therapeutic dungeon master, and she uses RPGs like Dungeons and Dragons and group therapy. Today, though, I'm excited to share my conversation with Leslie Light. Last year, Leslie wrote an article called Why I Didn't Play Dungeons and Dragons and Why I Started. The article examines her experience with D&D over the past 20 years. And you'll laugh, you'll cringe, and hopefully you'll enjoy the interview as much as I did. To get things started, I asked Leslie to tell me a little bit about herself. I am a editor and writer at BlackNerdProblems.com. Uh, we are a website that does pop culture reviews and critique, um, particularly from a black nerd perspective, but that's really accessible for anybody looking for something kind of new and fresh. Uh, I specialize in fiction and role-playing games. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. Uh, I have been a writer for many, many years, since the beginning, um, and an editor for about 15 or more, maybe even 20. Uh, and I'm just super excited to be in this space, right, to be creating content that's critical and insightful about the pop culture we consume. Fantastic. Uh, you, you mentioned specifically that you write on RPGs and fiction, right? Yes, I'm a book reviewer primarily. Um, I have kind of wear three hats at BNP. Uh, I'm, I lead the book reviewing team, so anything under the literature tag, I am engaged with getting that person, getting that writer to do that work um, and helping them write the best review they can. Um, I also review books, mostly anthologies. Uh, my favorite field is cyberpunk and post-apocalyptic oh, fiction. Nice. Babe. Um, and I'm just trying to work towards getting more and more RPG tabletop gaming content on our site. I think that there are a lot of people of color who love to roll some dice uh, in a lot of different ways. And so bringing that into our conversation is sort of next on my hit list. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, and that's like exactly what I, I wanted to talk to you about today is when I was doing my initial research uh, for this this episode and uh, this set of the podcasts, as our, our audience will already know, uh, mm -hmm. is focusing on the therapeutic benefits of tabletop RPGs. And so as I was, uh, you know, doing my, my research, I came across, you know, Black Nerd Problems and this really very touching, very eloquent article that you wrote about how, why you never played D&D &D and why you do now. And so I don't, I don't want to throw any spoilers out there, but can you kind of mm -hmm. give us a, a, a way back time machine story sure. about what inspired yeah. that? Gosh. Yeah. I, I, um, like most nerds, you know, I, I started out reading Tolkien when I was in fifth grade. Right. So fantasy was my first language of fiction. Uh, and it's really where I, I stayed through most of high school and into college. And uh, like a lot of people, got to college and encountered my first D&D &D game. Um, I did, of course, go with my boyfriend because that's how that works. Um, and I sat down at the table with four other... Now, I'm a black female. Um, I sat down at the table with four or five other white male players, all about the same age. And the GM was a much older, I think he was like, he owned his own home, which to us at 18 was, oh my God, you're a hundred years old. <laughs> uh, and he was the GM and, and we kind of get started and almost immediately we're in a bar <clears throat> and they want to go wenching. 
And my boyfriend's looking at me like, this is a little weird. And I'm sitting there going, this is a little weird. And so <laughs> the next thing I know, I'm serving beer in this bar to the other players. And the GM is very much boxing me out of engaging in what then becomes a bar fight. Right. Because we're in a bar. Um, And so that was really my introduction to the game is that the GM is the guy in charge and that guy cannot be trusted. (laughs) Basically. He's not going to. Right. Welcome to D&D. He's not going to. That he's got his own vision of how the game is played and who gets to engage and who doesn't. And either you're on board with that vision or you're not. Okay, great. Uh, Time passes. I meet another friend of ours. He again encourages me to play. We end up playing cyberpunk, uh, which is kind of where my cyberpunk love comes from. And we had the best time ever. Again, my lesson there is that the GM is the guy in charge, right? Mm -hmm. They're the person who directs how useful and supportive the game is, how fun it is, or whether some people get to engage or not engage. Um, And so then over multiple years, anytime I sat down to play D&D, I was entirely boxed out by the GM, right? Serving tea in a tea house. That must Uh, have been so frustrating. So time passes. And I meet, again, a new group of friends. And um i'm engaging now i'm talking to a, a a fellow black person he's a black man and he wants to run a dnd game and i'm like and i tell him to his face i hate dnd i've never i've never completed a, a campaign i don't this is not what i want to do and he says okay well let's talk about race and we then have like the best critical race conversation around how race is used in dnd and how you know, this idea of inherited evil, the idea of being a half this or a half that and how derivative and simplifying that is like the whole thing. He goes all the way to the bottom. And I am so impressed by him and his critical engagement was something he clearly loves, but he loves it enough to cut it up and make it better. That that was able to encourage me to then say, OK, you're a GM I can trust. Right, and that was literally two years ago. We're all level eight. I'm playing the world's best druid, you know, yes. and and so it really it, it continues to confirm for me a that you that, that the person you choose to run the game in a traditional tabletop game in a real traditional sense, the GM has to get it. You can't force that onto them as a player, right? Unless you're willing to take them through to class about it. But that once you find the right group and the right GM, that you can do anything. Right, that your, your limit of fun and engagement and uh, creativity is is only yours. There's no top to that. So, what do you think makes a good GM? I think they have to have their own sense of wonder about the world and the game. I don't need my GM to know everything. I think that's a, a misperception that the GM has to be the expert on whatever is going on on the table, right? I I need them to love the world and to be invested in making sure I love it too and to give me the space to explore it in all the weird little ways I might want to explore it. That means they just have to be a super flexible but passionate person. I think that's really the starting point for it. If they aren't um, in love with it and... This is key, the flexibility portion of it. Nobody wants to play a game on rails, right? That's what we call it in my house. 
where the GM has, has effectively written a novel and they have slotted you into a character in that novel and they are just trying to lead you down this train, this track, so, to, so that you get to the end of their novel. That's less engaging, right? So a GM has to be open to the flexibility of me writing my own short story inside of their world. Yeah, it's a choose-your-own-adventure, not yeah. not a novella. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I think those are the two big things. So I'm wondering if you can, well, before I forget, can you tell me the story about the time you DM'd the, the all-ladies <laughs> the all ladies crew? We had so much fun. Um, I set it in a homegrown, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, 40K sort of setting. Yes. They have a uh, an all-women's uh unit called the sisters of battle and so there were five of us and we played a sisters of battle squad that was attempting to take back a planet from some i'm sure that they were heretics of some variety or another <laughs> um, but there was a kraken and there were pet tigers and it just got sillier and sillier and yet everybody we were just a it was it was a time when we just got to be like literally girls and we were all adult women right you know 35 years old um but we would just sit and giggle about the silly things that we would come up with and then i'd say yes you can do that all i ever said was yes as the gm and how you build this is a technique that i used to do renaissance fairs and i took improv training for years and all of that kind of stuff so one of the techniques of improv is to always say yes because that allows the story to just keep getting crazier. And you never know where it's going to go. You never box anybody out. So we very much use those sort of acting techniques in the game. And because it was all women, it was a very safe space for us. To you know, I had two characters who played lesbians together, and nobody was assuming. Oh gosh, those characters, those people are really are really into each other like that. Well, no, they're just playing these characters who are doing this thing, and that was funny and interesting for those two people, right? Like it allowed us that space without it having to be about anyone else observing us. Because sometimes when you're playing, and this I think is detrimental to the therapeutic nature of role playing, is if you feel like you're on stage, then it gets performative for other people at the table. And that performance can be super fun, but it can also stop you, right? It can also scare you from doing what you really want to do. But if you get into, this is just an utterly safe space for me to, to blow the, the doors off of this thing. Here we go. You can really try some new things and go in some new directions. We just had so much fun. Um, can you say more about the performative aspect? Because there's this this interesting dynamic at play that I've, I'm hearing from you and I'm hearing from uh, other people that I've spoken to about you know therapeutic RPGs is that mm -hmm. the performative aspect is an important part of like the therapeutic process itself. Yeah. As in like you get to step into the role of someone else and see what it might be. But what I'm hearing from you is that if it's too performative, you kind of lose track of yourself and it becomes more of a, of a farce. Is, am I hearing yeah. that right? Yeah. Yeah. That you're, you, that you can play to the audience too much. Right. Okay. Okay. So there, I have another story for your, for your insight then. Mm -hmm. I was working with a, a fellow clinician mm -hmm. and he had a social skills group that he was running and was using D and D. 
and okay. they were doing character development and there was a young uh, adolescent male who wanted to play as a female character mm-hmm. and before telling me what actually played out he was asking me what i thought about that as the fact that i am you know a woman oddly mm-hmm. enough and what it would be like if a, if a guy was a, to role play as a female character and i know how i responded to that so i'm really curious in your experience especially as we talk about uh, you know being performative and playing to an audience what do you think about just kind of like at the high level of a guy deciding to role play as a as a non-male character i think it's good for you i think it's good to get out of your box there a little bit oh, and interestingly enough in the game i'm playing right now we have a- an incredibly masculine man very like this is a guy you would never consider to have any sort of um, feminine side he is playing the female warrior of the party that's wonderful and it it'll it, it gives him this space sometimes it can get um stereotypical right and we and we as a group kind of police that mm-hmm. and say okay are you this hair flip thing that you've got going on <laughs> as your as your personal brand is that really <laughs> is that really what we want to go for <laughs> like let's let's be honest but at the same time what do you think a woman acts like and how do you think that's different or not from how a guy in that role would act and that's yeah, and an that's, interesting question right that's the that's the question yeah and that's what that's what we were getting at in our in our back and forth was you know well it's fine like it's totally fine to like step out and, and to mm-hmm. try something new but what happens and how do you manage in yeah. in any game setting, much less like a therapeutic setting, mm-hmm. where you know what happens if they start going down the tropes? Like, are you playing a a female character so that you can flip your hair or flirt yeah. your eyes and all those like act out those stereotypic tropes? So I'm super curious how did how do you guys police him in like a very supportive and friendly way? Yeah, it's a super it, again. You know, you have to be um, you have to be in an honest, open space. But but we definitely have the Okay, let's pause because right now I feel like you're representing a stereotype instead of representing your character. Is this really what you want to do? Right? And just call it out. Mm -hmm. Right? Or I recently learned a a new technique from a trainer. um, When you don't know what to say, when it's gotten so out of control, you literally are at a loss for words. What you say is, wow. Just like that. And you, and you just look them right in the face like, that's what you said, really. That, And almost everybody will get that mm-hmm. and, and kind of back it up a little bit and go, oh, maybe that was, let me be real. Let me not be a stereotype. Let me be real. And the result is, is much more entertaining, right? And I think maybe, it, I don't know that I'm not going to speak for him, but I would love to think that it is giving him some insights. <laughs> and, and and again now part of this is that the table is evenly split there's two women and two men at the table in the gm mm-hmm. so there's no gender imbalance amongst the players and are, are you the gm for this group no i have oh. it's look, got one guy one guy is gming me and a friend are the two women and then my husband and her partner are the two men ah, so there's okay. five of us around the table um so but if it's they screw up, they're sleeping on the couch. Is what I'm right, thinking. exactly. Like they, we have, <laughs> they, we all have sort of a vested interest in keeping this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So if I, and, and this isn't 
if my husband says something and I say, wow, that's a conversation we're going to have. Right. Ooh, I just got chills. Like, I literally <laughs> right. just, like, got chills in my back with you saying that. Like, ooh, this is bad. And, <laughs> and, and at the same time, I can say to my male friend, hey, I don't know that's, if that's where you want to go with that. Mm-hmm. And we have the kind of relationship that produces that. And the GM, again, is utterly, he's a guy, he's probably one of the most feminist, open-minded men I've met in a long time. Um, and so the ability for us to all co-create makes that possible if it was a space where i was the only woman and it was not an open and safe space i don't know that i would feel comfortable correcting that one guy who was playing a female character yeah right or if you've got all dudes around a table and none of them have really embraced um a a a deep sort of feminism are they capable of self-managing that right this is like a, a perfect segue because um, I, what I wanted to ask you next was along the lines of the kinds of like social and emotional relationships and experiences that you've had through tabletop. So I know mm. for myself, like some of my best friends I have literally met by playing digital games in separate spaces. And mm. so one of the things that I think tabletop does so well is that it takes those friendships and brings them in person. And there's something really special about that. So yeah. do you do you have any stories about how whether this group or another uh, RPG group that you've done, where you've really seen like that that power to bring people together and like help them through something either in game or maybe even something they're dealing outside of the game? I my my strongest experience with that is actually not in a tabletop; it was in a LARP. Oh, um, and just in case anybody's not sure, LARP stands for live action role playing so it there's no table and um <laughs> conflict is resolved usually like with cards or rock paper scissors or something super simplistic right the the process is the point the conflicts are very rare as opposed to D where if you're in a combat heavy game you're the conflict is constant right so mm-hmm. it's a very different sort of direction and i didn't larp for very long but it showed me certain things about the girlfriend i went with that then when she did have troubles, I was able to bring that experience that we shared in that space into that conversation and say, hey, um, I, I, have you, you're, you're, you're in a depressive state. You're feeling very isolated. Have you been to game? No. Well, I know that's something you love to do. Mm-hmm. Do you need a ride? Right. Then it's not about me. You don't have to go hang out with me. You're not even necessarily hanging out with the people at the LARP, but you are playing your character. I'm making air quotes here to do the thing that maybe will also help you for real Mm -hmm. being in that space and having fun with your friends. Right. So there are a lot of ways that game in general. Okay. I can't, I don't have the energy for this, but man, I should, my character would want to be there. Mm Mm-hmm. So let me go ahead and find another little bit, one more spoon for this. And then maybe you can vibe in somebody at the table. Hey, I'm really low right now. Can we, can we take it easy? Can we, can we have dinner be an extra half hour? (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) So because the sociality is what you need more so. And the game is kind of an excuse to get to that social experience. 
I've had people stop being friends over a tabletop game because one of the players was acting out so far of the group norm, mm-hmm. which is, I think, another interesting topic is how groups norm, storm and then norm, right? Um, and and so the, the internal rules of the group got broken so badly that people couldn't trust him in real life and he had to go away for several months. Oh, wow. Like, it was bad. So that social rule goes both ways. And that's that's something that always makes me so curious is the idea that what you do in a game, especially a tabletop game, can translate to yep. life outside of the tabletop game. You know, from mm-hmm. the therapeutic perspective, we, we hope that that happens. Yeah. Because if in your adventure you make friends and you socialize and you feel empathy and you mm-hmm. feel mastery, like we want you to take those kinds of experiences um, out of the game. But what I'm also hearing is... Now, I don't know, obviously, I don't know him, and I don't know mm-hmm. if he would have said this, but I, I keep hearing in my head, oh, it's just a game. And th- this idea that we get so invested in games in general, especially in role-playing games, but then we can often, we often dismiss them as, oh, that's just a game? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think, to give you some more context on, in in two kind of directions, people who say things like that, in my experience... Only say it when it's convenient for it to only be a game for them. Mm-hmm. Right? When it's important to them, it's very, very important. But when it's when they've done something that's broken the rules, then they want to say, oh, it's not important. But six months ago, you were the one dressing as your character and insisting that we serve period food. Right? <laughs> like, so wow. you don't get to do it both ways, friend. <laughs> right? So there's a power play there that I think is important. I, but the other part of it, of the, the just a gameness, is as if games aren't important. I was just going to ask. <laughs> Has, okay, it's just a game. Yo, I've seen you act out over a football game. It's just a game. Mm-hmm. I've seen you, I, a, a game of cards. Holy crap. Four people around a table playing cards. It can be a nightmare. It's just a game, right? It's only just a game because you don't care. Mm-hmm. I care, right? And and I think that that we have to to be careful about dismissing other people's experiences and in in play. Like play has a lot of value, and I think it's it, this actually connects to something I think about a lot in pop culture. Is oh, they're just comic books. Oh, who cares about Marvel? It's just superheroes. No. These are things where we're talking about who we are as people. Play matters, right? Play is where we experiment and where we try and where we fail in a safe space. And comic books are the same way. That's where all the craziest things can happen. And you can see how people are still people underneath all the craziness. So mm -mm, it's never just a game. Play is play is important, right? And, and we need to, to give it that space. I think more people should play. Oh, I totally agree. <laughs> right? I Whatever that looks agree. like, yes. you got to play. <laughs> I, I guess just following on, on that tangent, you mentioned sports. Like That's a very traditionalized, normalized mm-hmm. aspect of adult play. Yep. And I always found it so weird that if I went to a gaming convention... I would get weird looks, but if, you know, my buddy went to a Packers game in negative 30 yep. degree weather and he's mm-hmm. bare chested wearing cheese on his head, that's somehow more normal? Right? Question mark on that? 
<laughs> not so much with it. Yeah. And and then now that's changing, right? Like mm-hmm. we're in a different space and it's kind of crazy. I need a new word other than crazy. It's kind of um, mind boggling. Um, hard to get my arms around, I mm-hmm. think is what I really want to say about the way that D&D in particular, but role playing games in, in general also, um, have followed up on the sort of e-sport emergence and are riding the coattails of that to where in 10 years there will be D&D tournaments where you can win money. Like that will happen I, I, in the way that, you know, now you've got podcasts and you've got huge conventions where you can just go and play and play and play and it's getting bigger and bigger and it's monetizing in a way that it will be normalized just because the money is there to normalize it, um, which will have interesting at, impacts on A, people who've been playing it all along and B, how easy or hard it is to use it therapeutically. Right, because once it's normalized, then you probably have a better chance of getting people to play. I hope so, because um, so. there's there's definitely the board game renaissance, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, in a, a previous talk I had, like talked about D and D and how mm-hmm. it was uh, essentially occultism in like the 1970s and 1980s. Oh my gosh, yeah! How far it's come, and you talked about comic books. You know, the big mm-hmm. comic book burnings of the 1950s because mm-hmm. they were evil and bad, and it's. Just interesting because you framed this kind of pop culture media as the space where people get to like express them true selves and really follow their own their own interests and their their own passions. And so I'm curious, what do you think like going forward as these more niche cultures become more more mainstream? What will that do for the kind of close knitness that you know, something like a LARP has or something like a tabletop game has, or or will it really even matter? Because, you know, a tabletop game is still, you know, probably like five people. That's five folks. I think there's going to be a period of growing pain. I th- I, I'm i observing, right, where people like my GM friend who's, you know, he's a, he's a D&D collector. He has an AD&D book that he sleeps with by his bed. Right? Oh, like, my. He's that guy. Good for him. Uh, yeah, he's he's a believer. Um, <laughs> and so I, I think when he finds himself sharing a tabletop with someone whose introduction to D&D is through critical role, they're going to have some problems. Mm-hmm. Right. Just because their understanding of th- their genesis is so different. Right. One is very solitary and and. I'm a nerd picked on by other people kind of experience um, versus this is, I, this is my critical role t-shirt, my critical role hat. And I watch it on the, sh- on the laptop and I Twitter with all my buddies about it. And it's just huge cultural phenomenon. Guess I'll go play D and D now <laughs> for the first time. <laughs> right? Like they're coming from a very different space. So I think we're going to have to decide as a community of players, what that looks like. And hopefully, I I have heard in ones and twos that there's a sense that, oh, those critical role people, those fans aren't real gamers like we're gamers. Oh, Lord. Right? Like, oh, God, can we not do this, please? Can we skip the gatekeeping and go straight to the good part? Yes. Can we? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so th- there's there's some of that, that, that possibility of negativity exists. But I also think that we're at a point of, uh, 
as a group of players where we can skip it. Because, as you said, at the end of the day, the tabletop experience, whether that's um, through Roll20 or in my living room, it's about the five of you people sitting down together. Mm -hmm. And so the fandom of D&D is less important when the dragon is there and we're going to do this thing. And I have to stand up so that my buddies don't die, right? Like, when I have to do that and really engage with us as players, then the drama is is in the distance, right? At least it's outside. That gives me a lot of hope. Because as someone who is a digital gamer, first Mm -hmm. before I came to tabletop, I've definitely been on the receiving end of that kind of gatekeeping and Mm -hmm. hearing, like, you don't belong here. But I know for a lot of gamers in general but especially for women, people of color, non-gender binary, like anybody Mm -hmm. who ever feels marginalized. Games are often our space to like relax and connect Mm -hmm. and identify with people who are not in our geographical location. And, but like you were mentioning, because of the size of say digital games, you get that really intense gatekeeping. So you you are giving me life and hope (laughs) that maybe tabletop, will be different. And I know life and hope isn't enough. So what what are, what is your sage advice for like mm. nipping that kind of gatekeeping in the bud and keeping these spaces as ones that are open, are safe and are therapeutic? Gosh, what would I say is the number one thing? Or a couple things, doesn't have to be one. Yeah. <laughs> I I think we have to be willing to exclude, how do I want to say that? Because that's that's a different kind of gatekeeping, right? Me as a feminist and a black woman, you know, it's, I have to be willing to say, yeah, I'm not going to play with that guy because he's a jerk Mm -hmm. and he's a racist and he's a sexist and, and that's a different kind of gatekeeping, right? So maybe not all gatekeeping is super bad, but... (laughs) I think that we have to to be willing to have this, there be rules around how you play and that are interpersonal rules that we have to respect each other, right? And maybe it starts at convention levels. Maybe it starts with Wizards of the Coast when they do um, in-person games that they have rules for those games about um, how you talk to each other and, and, and not necessarily that it's a safe space in the therapeutic sense, but at least that nobody's going to call you names. Right. And so that the public face of the tabletop world has a certain expectation. Right. So that you can't sit down at the table uh, unless you've accepted a certain kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. I think that's important in a way. Um, <clears throat> on a more personal note, I think we have to to engage in conversations about games in good faith. I think we have to continue to write and talk about them as if they are important um, and also admit our fla- faults and flaws and continue to, to try and, and and improve the space. Um, I'm also seeing a lot of fantastic creativity coming out of black creators doing indie tabletop games. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe supporting um, people outside of the traditional pipe because that's, I would bet good money if I had a PhD in D and D that part of the but reason D and next time okay my <laughs> next PhD um, maybe that's part of it too right is that 
the pressure from indie games on the outside is one of the reasons that D&D and Pathfinder has uh, opened up their uh, representation in their books and their games. Right? There's a lot of pieces there. I don't know if there's a good... I guess the best single answer is to come to the game wanting to have fun first and foremost and to not be trying to salt somebody else's fun in the process. And if you start with that, then there's a lot of places you can go. So what I'm hearing is treat humans what? Like, like humans. Treat them like you know they want to be treated and maybe how you want to be treated. And... and be open to feedback. That's like that, right? That's what I'm hearing. Maybe everything I needed to know I really did learn in kindergarten, right? Maybe. Like maybe it is that simple. Maybe if we just bring peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to the table. I I'll, I think food is a big part of my my tabletop experience. I'm going to be perfectly honest with oh, you. Oh, do tell. Do tell. <laughs> Because we uh, we called it Italian dinner. <laughs> we, we, you get the seven dollar roasted chickens from the grocery store. Okay, and then your your platter of pre cut veggies all from the deli section. Of course, and whoever's house it is, they just have to have olive oil and balsamic and one of those loaves of bread. So everything kind of comes pre cooked, and you just spread it out on the table, and you're dipping, and you're eating, and you're fighting over this chicken, and it all feels so homely and connective. That by the time you start rolling dice, it just gets better and better. The food matters. It, oh, I mean, it does. What we're talking about, like, ultimately, when we're talking about therapeutic kinds of things, we're talking about human connection at, like, the mm-hmm. most fundamental level. Yeah. And there are very few things in this world that I personally find more uh, about human connectivity than food. food. So you just you just <laughs> hit one of my favorite things ever. Bread in particular. Yes. <laughs> I'm telling you, dipped it in olive oil and, vin- and balsamic. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm, so good. Best. So I think we just solved uh, world peace. Yeah, right on. Like, go Kelly. Uh, yep. Oh, no, go you. Go Lily. <laughs> Bread and D&D and balsamic and olive oil. <laughs> We're done. All um, the Italians on the, on the, on the phone are going to go, yes! Yes! Got it! We're <laughs> winning. We won peace. Yes. <laughs> Um, well, I, those are all the, the set questions that I, I had. Um, is there anything that you wanted to say more about, something that you wanted to get to that maybe we didn't, a question you wanted me to ask that I, I didn't get around to? No, I think we had a good conversation. That was pretty fantastic. Well, wonderful. I thought so, but I know I'm biased. So I, I, try, to, I try to own that. Um, thank you so much for, for taking the time and, and chatting with me and I know, I know we maybe got on a tangent uh, to, to Italy and back, but I, <laughs> it was I a feel good like tangent. it's part of the process. Yes. You know? mm-hmm. um, but yeah, th- thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Kelly. Have a good rest of your day. I had such a fantastic time talking with Leslie, and I hoped you all enjoyed it too. I actually recorded this interview several months ago, and what's really stuck with me is the joy that comes from freely exploring and playing in a world with endless possibilities. Unlike digital games that are constrained by code, tabletop games are only limited by the imagination of players and the DM. Tabletop RPGs bring us together in the same space, but there's infinite room at the table. Beyond Gameplay is a production of the iThrive Games Foundation, a 501c3 organization. 
For more information about how iThrive uses games and game design to prepare teens to thrive, visit us at iThriveGames.org. The show is hosted by me, Kelly Dunlap, and is produced by I Am Trin with direction from Dr. Susan Rivers and Jane Lee. Audio engineering and theme music was created by the noisy game maker Ethan Goss Alexander. Marketing and PR was coordinated by Just Class and Sierra Martinez. Thank you for going beyond gameplay, where humanity is the core mechanic. 